Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. Do you want to know how to better study God's Word? Then participate in one of our free online workshops or join one of our online Bible studies. There are tons of times and options to choose from. Head to our website to register now at www.preceptministries.ca. On our website, you can also get connected to our social media pages and join our email list to stay updated on the many things God is doing through Preset Ministries. We want to hear from you. If you have been impacted by these podcasts or another area of Preset Ministries Canada, then we want to know. Email us your testimonies to info at preceptministries.ca. We can't wait to hear about how God is working in your life. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth, a study on the book of Colossians. Hello, everyone. It's Mark Sheldrake here, and this is another episode of Unlocking the Truth podcast in the book of Colossians. Week 8, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in each and every week as we work through Colossians. Uh, One week left in this podcast series, and then we are going to start after the Canada Day long weekend. We'll be working through the book of 1 Thessalonians. I want to encourage you that uh, if you've been listening to the podcast, that you jump into one of the online classes that we'll have going through the summer on 1 Thessalonians. Uh, I can't wait to get into that book. I find that book to be uh, a very exciting book. It's a it's a letter to the churches, a church that is uh, doing well in their ministry, and Paul challenges them to excel still more. And uh, a couple of verses um, in there that we'll be looking at as we go through, just how Paul is rejuvenated and brought to life by the news of the faith of that church. So I hope you will join us. Uh, we'll be working through Uh, that podcast right through until September, and uh, looking forward to how the Lord is going to use uh, 1 Thessalonians. But we're in Colossians still. This week is going to be a great week as we close out chapter 3, and we get into just a few verses into chapter 4. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the truths that we've learned about you In the book of Colossians, we thank you for what we've learned about your son, Jesus, that he uh, was with you at the beginning. He was the word that he was for creation. All things were for him and through him. And so, Lord, we're thankful for the truth. Father, we're thankful for the example of this church that we can learn from them to hold fast and stand firm, to really understand who we are and what our identity is Walk with us through this text now as we look at relationships and what Paul tells us in the chapter 3. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, last week we were walking through uh, these items that we had to die to. We had to uh, kind of remove the members of our earthly body that we were to consider dead We also looked at the principles of putting on Christ, 
and the um, because we are chosen, we're to put on those things that are the opposite of what we are to take off. Those things that we are to take off are those internal sins that we only uh, have within ourselves, but also those things that are outward and towards others. And so what Paul does in uh, chapter 3, verse 12, he starts with the word so, which also brings us to a term of conclusion. So if you've died to your earthly body, if you've put on Christ and you're not going to behave in a way that you did before you were a Christian, that you're now going to act differently, he tells you in verse 12, to those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you so also. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity." There's four things that we're going to look at this week, and they all start with verse 12. And so what Paul has done here is he's laid out who we are in Jesus Christ. He's laid out the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. You're probably, if you're taking notes, you want to reverse that, the the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. He's all you need. He's who you are. He's who you have put on. He's now the basis of the way you live your life and the actions that you have. You've died to your old self. You've died to the things that you were before, and now you have put on Jesus. Your identity is Jesus Christ. When you wake up in the morning, you're no longer a citizen of this earth. You are a citizen of heaven. Therefore, your passport says heavenese. You've got Jesus as your uh, one. You're wearing him. You're looking like him. You're acting like him. You're speaking like him. And therefore, as you live out your daily walk as looking, acting, walking like Jesus Christ, Uh, Paul's going to go and he's going to tackle your instructions of how to do this in relationships. He's going to break down four relationships that we want to look at this week. The first comes from these uh, verses of 12 to 17. And what he's talking about is the relationship or the fellowship we have with believers. So it's now how do we live, how do we behave, how do we have unity for um, believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, It would pain me not to take you back to John chapter 17 for a moment, because in John chapter 17, the prayer that Jesus has for his people is the following. Just listen to what he tells us in John 17, starting at verse 20. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, 
that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. My Father, I desire that also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so they may not they may see my glory, which you have given me before the foundation of of the world. Righteous Father, although the world has not known me, yet I have known you. These have known that you sent me. Now, this is an absolutely amazing prayer that Jesus is telling us about the fellowship of believers. How it's so and why it's so important for believers to be unified, to not just get along with each other, but to be at peace with one another, not at war with one another, not having these fleshly evil desires overtaking us and where we want to have malice and envy and covetous, covetedness and uh, the whole concept of uh, causing revenge or evil desires against other people, especially the brethren, that because the world, this is what he says here. This is his prayer. This is what I just love about John 17. He says that when the body is unified, when Jesus is in God, the, the believers are in Jesus, all in one, that they be unified. Why? So the world would know that you sent me. If you go back into the beginning of John 17, verse 3. Here's why it's so important that the world know that Jesus was sent by God. It says in verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, God, the only true God, in Jesus whom you have sent. Uh, it's eternal life that's at stake here to know that God sent his son Jesus into the world for forgiveness of sins, that he died, buried, raised again, and this is salvation. So what does Jesus pray for in verse 20? He's praying for future believers, the believers that would come through the ministry of the disciples, that they would be able to be unified so the world may believe in the fact that God sent Jesus. Believe and receive eternal life. So this is why it's so important when you go back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, that you've been chosen of God, holy, beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with one another, forgive each other, whoever has a complaint against you. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should. Uh, the idea here is by doing these things, he says, beyond all this, put on love, which is the foundation, which brings you to the point of unity. What do you have when you have unity? You have the very fact that you show the world that God sent his son, Jesus, that you are in him, he in the Father, you have eternal life. This is why it's so important for the body to be unified in what we're doing. 
Corinthian, 1 Corinthians also tells us why it's important for the body to be unified. Uh, as the body each has their gifts and each takes part in the building of the church, that when one part of the body is not working the way it should be, it, it causes the other body, to, body parts to have injury. Uh, just like when you are a runner, and I have run multiple marathons, and the fact of the matter is when you have an injury, that if you are kind of favoring that injury, what you will end up doing is you will end up hurting another part of the body. So when people are not working well in unison together, then you start to hurt the body. You start to hurt the testimony of the body. Therefore, you have people on the outside that see the inside of the church not unified and the body of believers not unified, and they say, why do I want to be a part of that? And so what you have here is you have Paul challenging in the first that within the fellowship, that when you have love as the foundation, out of love for God and love for others, the two greatest commandments found in the book of Matthew, said by the very voice of Jesus Christ, love God, love your neighbor, that when you do these things, you start to show a different attitude towards those around you. You become more humble. You're compassionate. You're aware of the issues that are going on within the body. You are kind to your uh, beloved, faithful church members. You, you love on them. You are aware of their needs, and you pay close attention to them. If you want to see what a true believer in Jesus Christ looks like, you've got to go back to 1 John. As you walk through 1 John, put the letter K over every word no and then write out a list of everything you know from the text about the word no and you will see many signs of what a true believer looks like a true believer is one who meets the needs of others that they love so much that they reach and meet the others now Here's the thing, and I have been a pastor in a church for a number of years. I've been a part of a ministry, and guess what? There are difficult people, and those difficult people sometimes are really hard to love. And that's when you have to really dig deep and pray and ask God the Holy, and the, for the Holy Spirit to do a work within your life to say, you know what, I'm going to make an effort to humble myself and meet their need, or love on those people, regardless how difficult they are. Oh, Mark, that's so easy, right? So, oh, you can say it into the microphone, it's so easy to do that, but come on, put it into practice. Do you put it into practice? Well, I do my best. That's the thing. We try to work and serve and glorify and honor God in the way we live, and sometimes creating and holding that perfect bond of unity and peace and love is difficult. But that's the challenge of what we should be doing. I believe that the more time we spend in the word of God, the more we see how we are to interact with each other, and it will change your relationships. But when one person is not in fellowship with the word and with the Lord, it makes it a lot harder to be in that unity. It's not you alone. It's the other parties as well that need to be making that effort for unity. So that's the first one. Now, uh, let's just skip, okay? Um, I, 
I really just want to skip through and not pay attention to verses 18 to 21 because uh, in this day and age right now, these verses, they don't really apply uh, to the world we're living in right now. And let's just move on. Now, don't, don't turn off the podcast right now and, and say, I can't believe he's not touching us. We're going to these verses, these uh, verses that really can rub people up the, the wrong way as we go. Uh, people who don't have a full grasp and understanding of relationships. But the next relationship we want to look at is uh, in overall generals, we're going to be looking at relationships within the home. So first you have relationships within the church and the fellowship with the brethren. And then Paul's going to start to... Uh, kind of narrow that down, go deeper down the funnel into, hey, these are what we're going to look at when it comes to uh, relationships within the home. And the first relationship within the home is he is going to talk about marriage. He's going to tackle first the relationship between the husband and the wife. Now, all right, let me just pause for a moment. All right, so I want you to pay close attention. Men, if you are sitting and you're sitting close to your your wife and you guys are listening to this together, uh, there is absolutely no elbowing your wife in the side as we look at the first verse. Wives, when we get to the next verse, there's absolutely no way you should be elbowing your husband in his side and saying, see, I told you, or, you know, both of you kind of pointing those things out, because this is a time for you to go back and take to heart and inwardly reflect at how your relationship looks in relationship to the word of God. All right, so Paul is now going to lay out for us. He's going to take us right to the very next verse, and he says, um, verse 18, he says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Oh, my goodness. What are we talking about? Okay, we've got something happening here. We've got this command that wives need to be subject to your husbands, okay? Listen, husbands, I hope you did not elbow your wife right now and say, I told you you were to be subject to me. I told you to be to uh, listen to me and do what I tell you to do. No, that's not what is happening here. All right, so first and foremost, we need to understand what he's talking about when he says be subject. All right, so the word subject here is is an understanding in a military term in which it's to place and rank, okay, to put a person in place or in rank. It's to put them under an orderly fashion. All right, so if you want to know more about the orderly fashion, you've got to go back to Genesis uh, chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 and up to 25, talk about how God saw that Adam all by himself needed a suitable helper. He needed somebody to come alongside him and help him and support him and be with him because he was all by himself. And so in Genesis, you have Adam created first, and then as the 
placing or the order of creation, you have Eve who was created, created next. Now, just last night at the dinner table, my wife and I were talking about uh, the podcast, and she was like, you know, I'm listening to the podcast, and boy, I'm not sure that, you know, I really like when, when I hear things about my, myself, you know, and, and here we are, Jessica, bear with, we're going there again. So Jessica and I have a running joke, and it's when we're driving in the car. And when we're driving in the car, um, this is not my uh, own joke. It's a, it comes from Tim Hawkins, who is a Christian comedian, and he has a joke called the suitable helper. And the suitable helper, he says, is the one as the wife who said the wife will always tell you when the light is green. She'll tell you when it changes before you know it changes. By her screech and her scream, she'll tell you when to break. And so as I respond sometimes when my wife will tell me, and Jessica says, Mark, the light is green, because I'm looking around and not really paying attention. And or, you know, when a car is moving way ahead of me up in the lane and it looks like they're driving crazy, she'll, she'll give a gasp and wonder where if I'm actually going to break, or she'll say things like, are you going to break? And I will respond with, thank you, suitable helper. And she'll say, that's right, I am the suitable helper. But what you have here is you have the idea that a husband and wife are to uh, work together in unity. But the place and the ranking is that, you know, Adam created first and then Eve. And so this is the order that God has it. So what we're seeing in Colossians chapter 3 is God's perfect order for the relationship and the family. Uh, Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 will tell you more about the order that has to be taken in place. But Paul says in Ephesians that a wife is supposed to respect her husband. And so I wanted to look uh, at 1 Peter because 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 verses 21 to chapter 3, 12 give us a really good example of the idea of submission and being subject uh, in relationships. So uh, starting at verse 21, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, uh, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in him. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judged righteously. He himself bore our sins, his body uh, on the cross, so that he might die to sin and live to righteousness. For though, uh, for by... Uh, that his wounds we are healed. For we're continually straying like sheep, but now for you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. In the same way, wives, uh, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, that they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe you chase and respect behavior, so what Paul is saying here, and you can continue on and down to verse 12, he, he keeps talking about the idea of uh, proper dress and how to um, 
behave as a wife. And, and the purpose in all that is so that by your actions as women, if your husband is not saved, by the way that you live and glory and honor Jesus Christ in the way that you are living, without any words, your actions can bring your husband to salvation. So it's a perfect model of what God has for us. But now you've got here um, the idea of the next part, okay? So what wives, we need to be in a perfect order, in God's perfect order in submission to that godly husband. And trust me, women, when you decide to do that and you decide to live as though you have Jesus at the center of your marriage. That when you place yourself in the proper rank because you know that God has made that rank, your marriage uh, relationship with your husband will change drastically. Uh, he, you, will, you will find great love in the Lord when your husband, your God-fearing husband, also uh, submits and lives under the authority of Jesus Christ. And so now what we have in verse 19, all right, wives, hold your elbows in tight, all right? Hold them tight. Don't, don't let them shake out and start moving towards your husband's side because this is what it says. But men, pay attention. Husband, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Uh, the word love there is agape love. It's that perfect expression of, um, among men in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Christian love. It's not, it's not an impulse or feelings that come up. It's just like Christ loved the church in unconditionally and self-sacrificing. This is the way that you are to love your wife. It's a sacrificial love that, you know, you will put her before your own needs, wants, desires. Uh, don't be embittered. Uh, don't be harsh against them. Don't irritate them. Uh, but don't be bitter and hateful towards them. So you don't want them to, you know, you don't want to get angry at them and get mad at them and, and live in a way that you're constantly kind of rubbing against them because maybe, you know what, you're not humbling yourself and you're not getting your own way. And then when you don't get your own way, you, you get embittered and guess what, that happens then. You guys, as a relationship, it starts to strain and struggle and you begin to rub against each other because at the center, remember, at the very beginning of all relationships, put on love. Why? Because it's the perfect bond of unity. And so in unity at the center is Jesus Christ. And at, when he's at the center of your relationship, you will be humble in your actions towards one another. You will have love for one another. The wife will submit to the husband and understand that if he's following and pursuing after God, he should be in prayer with God. He should have a fervent prayer life. He should be in the word of God. And if he's in the word of God, he's making good, sound, doctrinal, um, biblical worldview decisions, not based on his own wants, desires, but what is best for glorifying and honoring God in that relationship and in that home. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, that sounds 
virtually impossible. That sounds very difficult. It's very interesting that in our, my own relationship with, with Jessica, as we've now been married for more than 20 years, we began to see a difference in our relationship from when we first got married where we might argue about things like who's spending money on what and who's squeezing the toothpaste from what where and, and which way should the toilet paper go on and I'm not doing dishes, you're doing dishes and I'm not doing this and you're not doing that and things were, now, we're not perfect, we still have those conversations but now, as we both immerse ourselves in the word of God as we study the word of God, as we talk out the word of God, the relationship changes. And, and Jessica, she, she knows it's a joke, but she also understands. She says, I'm your suitable helper. And so these are the things that bring us all together, and it changes your relationship. And it changes it for the better because you have God at the center. I remember early on when Jessica and I were going through marriage counseling with our pastor, he drew a triangle. I thought it was very interesting that he would draw a triangle and he'd say, what you have is you have God as the head of your relationship. And from each side, down the side of the triangles, on either of the other two points, you have you and you have Jessica. And so what Mark does is Mark has a direct line to God, and Jessica has a direct line to God, and you have a direct line to each other. And this is the way that you should communicate. You should communicate as individuals in your relationship with God, and you should, you should communicate together with God in the midst of that relationship. I mean, that's been over 20 years, and I still remember that clear as day as the truth of what my marriage should look like, what my relationship should look like. And when it looks like that, it changes the way you live and act. In your marriage, you bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. And so this becomes a point of evaluation. Husbands, how are you doing in loving your wife? How are you doing with this sacrificial love for your wife? Uh, Bob Vereen was one of my um, supervisors with Precept, and he was with Precept a number of years. What he told me early on was he said, uh, what you need to do for your wife is to show you love her is to have a white tablecloth dinner. Now, I'm not too good at the white tablecloth dinner, but there are many things that I have done in, in the idea of white tablecloth dinner. But he said, once a week, take your wife out for a white tablecloth dinner. And he said, I don't care if you take her to McDonald's and you bring that white tablecloth with you. It should be just for you, too, to spend time to be able to keep that unity in your marriage. Uh, Dave Roach, one of our presidents of our board, our president of our board, he meets with his men's Bible study and he at challenges the men what are the things that you have done for your wife this week to show your love? And you can't say, I did gardening and cut the grass. What are those sacrificial things that you've done to show your wife that you love her like Christ loves the church? And he calls them out on it when they don't do things, and it's fantastic. And so think about that, men. What have you done or have you done anything to uh, show your wife this sacrificial love. Women, have you shown your husbands 
the things in great humility to understand what your role is within the relationship. We have phenomenal tools with Precept that will dig further into the whole uh, biblical marriage. Go to our website and look for Building a Marriage Without Regrets or having... um, Uh, There's one of the 40 minutes is on marriage as well. So I would challenge you, uh, men, take the challenge up, guys. You be the ones, call Precept, get those books, and walk your wife through those over the summer. All right, let's look at the next relationship before we run out of time. And we've got uh, children. Be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. (laughs) Ha ha, all right, we're... Uh, I Oh, Jessica, if you've got this and you're listening to it, get our kids in the room right now, right? We Guys, get your kids. Children, obey your parents. Ha, that's amazing. Uh, right in the Bible, there's a passage in Isaiah that I bring about with my daughter Logan all the time, and it comes from Isaiah 45. You cannot argue with your maker. Uh, I always say, and Logan, you were made by me. I am your maker, therefore don't argue with me. Well, guess what? My children, they're teenagers. And as they grow as teenagers, they go through uh, different growth periods in their life, and and sometimes they hit rough roads. And before I was, um, you know, a father myself, I was a youth pastor in and dealt with teenagers all the time. And I used to say to myself, it is going to be so easy to, to deal with teenagers. I was dealing with teenagers as a youth pastor. But guess what? They always went home. I had them for a couple hours a week, and then they went home. They probably were a lot different than they were when they came home. But I'm going to tell you something very interesting about our family. And, and I'm not trying to present our family as a perfect family. We are not a perfect family. But my daughter, when she was very young, she used to have these kind of tantrums and want to kick down the doors. And, and we used to pray, and oh, man, Lord, we hope you grip her heart and you change her because I don't know if we can deal with this through the rest of her life. And, and you know, we, we saw a drastic change in her behavior. No more kicking doors. We saw her getting involved in the church and singing. And, and we're like, oh, my gosh, God has grip this young woman's heart. Uh, She'll be attending boot camp with Precept uh, in the next uh, couple weeks, and we're pretty excited about that, that she's going to be digging into the Mark Precept Upon Precept study. But here's the most interesting thing of all of this. My daughter will be turning 16 very soon, and I have been waiting. I've been waiting in the wings for this experience explosion of change, this explosion of behavior that I have not yet seen yet. And here's why I don't think I've seen it yet. I think that she has been well-behaved. Thank you, pandemic. For one, she doesn't go anywhere, so she's always home. We get to keep her on her. But the other thing is she is witnessing something within our home. She is witnessing 
a marriage that is centered on Jesus Christ. And as she witnesses the behavior between Jessica and I, she then sees how we interact with her in a loving way. And the response that she has out of respect and love for us and for Jesus Christ, she behaves in a manner that brings glory and honor to God. At the perfect unity that's coming out of this. Hey, we have our bumps in the road. No, no doubt about it. But in the end, what we have is this unity within the family that we can be able to talk with each other and share things with each other. And my daughter has gone through some massive things in her short little life with friends who have lost their lives and just so many difficult things that, you know, that young girls should not have to deal with but are dealing with uh, in this day and age. And yet, uh, in this, she is rounding out to be a wonderful woman of God. And so at the middle of that, she's obeying. Now on the other end, this is, this is the part that Jessica continually reminds me of in the next verses. Uh, fathers, do not exasperate your children so they will not lose heart. Uh, isn't that kind of what where we love to do? You know, we love to provoke our children. Um, we like to poke and prod and, and have fun with them. No, this, the idea of this provoking is to provoke them in a way that they walk away from the truth of God's word. They get discouraged and they don't want to have anything to do with you or the church. Remember, if you have the perfect bond of unity. If you have been raised with Christ, you have Christ within you. He's at the center of your relationship. You should be bleeding out Jesus Christ. You're walking out the truth day in and day out. You are living for him in all that you are doing. Therefore, everything that comes out of your mouth is that of what Christ would speak. And therefore, when you're provoking and you're bringing to anger, this here is not the things of Jesus Christ that come out. You want your children to see Jesus Christ in you. You don't want to provoke them to anger and drive them away. Why? Because it's life or death. It's a situation where each and every person chooses to follow after Jesus Christ. They choose to walk away from Jesus Christ. John tells us that no man comes unto God unless God draws him to him. But even with the spirit prodding and saying, come to me, come to me, there are people who will outright say, I do not want that. In all of my years of ministry, this is what I have seen. I have seen people not want to come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior or attend church because of the hypocrisy that is found within it. You've got to love God. You've got to live for God. You've got to do, and then you don't do it yourself. And young people, young people can see that before wise, older folks can see it. They can pick that out instantly when someone is not being genuine. So in the family and in the household, don't provoke them. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us that our job as parents and fathers is to teach the word of God, for them to put it on their hearts and live it out, not provoke them to be driven away from it. Look what he says here, children, 
Be obedient to your parents in all things and well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slay. And then you've got the next relationship, all right? So let me just take this for you uh, quickly into the home, okay? First and foremost, you have uh, wives uh, be subject or submit to your husbands. L- husbands, love your wives. Don't embitter and don't be harsh with them. Children, you need to obey your parents. And fathers, don't provoke your children. Love on them. Jessica once told me, she said, you know, you have to tell your daughter you love her and you care for her because if you don't, she'll find someone else who will tell her that. Well, that taking that to heart, you know. And I, I want her to know that I love her and care for her and walk with her and want her to serve Jesus in her life and be encouraged by the word of God. Um, I'd love to have her participating even more in the ministry of precept and engaging women her age in scripture. Not, not to pressure or push her, but these are the things that we, we want to have. Now, here comes the next area of the relationship. This is outside of the home. This is in your work. He says, slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service or those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. Uh, For he who does wrong will receive consequences uh, of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. All right, so workers, this is for you, those who have a boss. Um, Maybe you are working in the secular world. You're not working in the Christian world, but maybe your boss isn't that great. Maybe you're working for somebody who's very difficult. You know, sometimes I wonder about how difficult I am to work for. A results-driven person that wants to establish and engage every Canadian in God's work. There's a lot of pressure behind that. There's a lot of hard work that we have to do to make that happen. But you want to work as though you're working for the Lord. When you wake up in the morning, it's what should drive you, the furthering of the kingdom. Why? Because it's through Jesus Christ that we are saved. It's through Jesus Christ that we have everything. He's sufficient for all of our needs. So the purpose is, is to go out and plunder hell and fill heaven. And so everything that we should be doing, even the work that we're doing, even if we put bottle caps on the top of bottles as we do these things, we do it for the Lord. We do it for the purpose of in our actions as we serve the Lord, what will happen? Other people will come to know Jesus. Just last week, our handyman was in our backyard and he said to me about precept and the logo. He said, I've got a quick question for you. He said, why in the world does Precept have a construction tool as their logo, the plumb bob? And I saw that you changed it. That's a good thing because that's a useless construction tool. And in the time that he was coming and doing some work for us, I was had the opportunity to say, do you know what the plumb bob is? Do you know why the plumb, we were using the plumb bob? Because it's very comparis- comparable to the word of God. Just like the plumb bob shows you you've got the straight line, the word of God shows us which the straight line is how we live according to Jesus. How we live a righteous life and prepare 
for eternity in heaven. Uh, opportunity for us to communicate the gospel in our actions and in our words when we're working. And so we have the ability to impact our workplaces when we serve for Jesus Christ. If we get up in the morning and we're trying to um, become impassioned and excited about serving that boss that's very difficult, we're going to get embittered. We're going to have difficulties. We're going to want entitlements. But let's focus on Jesus because when we focus on Jesus, we know our role. We're humble servants of Jesus Christ. We know what Jesus has done for us. We know that he forgave us of all of our sins. Therefore, we should forgive just like he forgave and we are able to work. And the work and the energy that we put in it is not the widgets that we make for our work, but it is the things that we do to further the kingdom of God on earth. Uh, if you're a boss, he wraps this up and he says, Masters, grant your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you have a master in heaven. And so the final part of this comes down to the boss. And he says, you are to lead as though Jesus is leading you. Because you too are not the last one who speaks. It is your master. Just like you have slaves, you have you are the master, you have a master over you. Therefore, you need to treat your people with justice and fairness. You need to be fair with them. Be fair with your employees and the people that you work for. Because when you are fair with your employees, they will in turn return and reciprocate that to you, and you'll have unity within the workplace. This is all phenomenal stuff. This is amazing that how Paul is breaking this down. He's breaking it down from the family and from the fellowship of the believers to the family and then into the workplace. Uh, the very interesting part about this as I wrap it up, three of the six instructions that we have here regarding relationships, there is a command to submit or obey. Wives, children and slaves you are to submit and obey uh, submission for the wife is a voluntary drop under and know your role uh, the slaves and the children it's not voluntary you must submit to those who are over top of you Folks, I guarantee you that if you were to close your eyes and you were to think about what the world would look like as we lived out these biblical truths, how would marriages around the world change? How would the family unit change? How would the workplace change for Christians? How would the impact of the gospel be different if we were living in this perfect bond of unity. Could you imagine how far the gospel could go, how far reaching it could impact the lives of others, and how it could impact your relationships? Think about how your relationships would change if you began to put these things into practice. And so I want to encourage you again that even though we've run through these verses fairly quick in the last 45 minutes or so, that you want to dig deeper into the resources that Precept has, a marriage without regrets, the 40-minute on marriage. There are opportunities for you to dig in with your children. If you have young children in D4Y materials or 40-minute Bible studies, but once everybody within that household unit is at the center, Christ is at the center, 
you're having a hunger and a desire and a passion to study God's word. You have a fervent prayer life together that your life will change, your relationships will change, your marriages will change, and they'll all change for the better because at the center you have Christ. And when Christ is at the center, it is that perfect unity that comes through love. Father, we thank you again for the time that you have given us. We thank you for the truth that we can see in these relationships. Father, I pray for each and every person listening to this that they truly would evaluate how they're doing in their relationships with you and with each other. By Father, our testimony is at stake here, that we can profess Jesus with our, lo- with our mouths, but in our actions be totally different, and this can, this can really hinder the furthering of your gospel. By Lord, we have this great opportunity to be tools for you, that people to have the ability to share the gospel with others through what we do and what we say. And so, Father, help us to live a life that brings glory and honor to you. Help us to put on Christ. Help us to be in perfect unity with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Preset Ministries, head to our website at www.presetministries.ca. 